This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Robert. That's Eric. That's Derek. We got a nice crew with us today. We're digging into Matthew 24. We're going to go right into the scripture here because I want us to camp out on something uh, on verses 3 through 14. But if you can just hit us real quick, Robert, with verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So this is the foretelling of the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. There are a lot of people, and I don't really want to park here and talk about this much, but there are a lot of people that are like, well, yeah, uh, everything seems like a fulfillment of prophecy when you know the ending of the story. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point of the fulfillment of prophecy is you can't connect the dots, like looking backwards, like we have all the dots now so we can connect them and kind of get an idea of what's going on. But uh, where I really want to camp out today, before I forget, I do want to mention Crossway. We are partnered with Crossway. This is not an official commercial, but if you want to start your own forging table, there's a stack of books that's on the edge of this table right now. And if you're just listening to this, it is in the show notes. It gives you a really good idea. There's a Bible in there. There's a devotional. There's a journal. There's a couple of other books and we packaged it all together and I won't give you the full on long commercial here, but all the ways that you can buy that stack of books at a hefty discount of half off is right there in the show notes. So you guys should check that out. But Eric, I want you to go ahead and read verses. Well, actually, no, Eric, you're going to be the one that's talking the most here in a second. So Derek, <laughs> if you would not uh, mind, hit verses three through 14, four for war. Three through 14. As he sat on the mountain of olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 13? Yeah, through 14. 14. Yeah. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this is the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. Um, it's very, very important in terms of its relation to how close we are to the cross. But as soon as Hamas attacked Israel back in October of last year, there were a lot of people that started drawing corollaries to end times prophecy. Uh, our pastor, Pastor Mark Hitchcock of uh, Faith Bible here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Everybody asks me what church I go to. Like I've mentioned it about a billion times, but Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. There you go. Pastor Mark Hitchcock, he does a lot of work on end time stuff. People ask me, when are you going to cover Revelation on the forging table? And uh, the exact answer is absolutely never because I have no idea what's going on. And most people don't. Yeah. Uh, at the very, very end, once we've gone books. through, yeah, when we've gone through everything, but uh, Mark Hitchcock and others have done a lot of uh, work 
work on that. There were a lot of pastors that came out in October and November of the last year to talk about some of these prophecies and what they're connecting to. And there's all this stuff and there's all this frenetic energy. And all I kept thinking about, I was reading through this this week, was, man, do we have men that are prepared for what's coming? Because we know the end of the story, right? We know who wins. We know where we end up, right? If we are the elect or if we have chosen to be a part of, you know, Team Jesus, right? But I just feel like a lot of men are very ill-prepared for this. And so um, this morning, I'm walking through the lobby of my church, and so I'm going to get some going to get some water so I can stay hydrated so we can get in here and, you know, yeah, yap my yammer off the entire time. And I look over, and I see Mr. Browning over there kind of sitting down, and you looked a little sullen and downtrodden. And if anybody knows Mr. Browning, you are one of the most upbeat positive, calming people that I've ever been around. It's very annoying because it's like, I try to like get you a giggle. I try to get you a little bit mad. I try to fluster you. You just smile at me like, ha, ha, you little (laughs) moron. But it's just like, you're, you're a very even killed guy and you seem to have all your ducks in a row, but you looked visibly perturbed this morning. And so I just, you know, beeline kind of what we were talking about last week. It's like, Hey, there's a foxhole buddy. I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know if he's got a, you know, level 10 fight going on with his beautiful bride or with one of his kids, like freaking out or something that's going on. But I'll let you pick up the story from there because we we ended up having a very good conversation of a short one, but it brought me back to Matthew 24. Yeah, man, I was... I was, I was very frustrated. So I, I guess you still the, look frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah frustrated so, right now. Just talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I helped lead a, a Sunday school class called <clears throat> ABFs, whatever that means. Truly. No one knows what that means, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, it was, I was super frustrated because about three or four years ago, this class was run by four people and then it's down to one. So my wife and I run this class. And so, man, I'm, I am all about delegation and I, I've got this whole idea of kind of, we call it the Barzell buy-in. I was like, you got to have some place in the class that you can be helping because I mean, I can get you, we can get here and we can have a good class, but we can have a much better class. Um, and I'm just not getting, I'm getting stairs, you know, um, it's crickets at times. I've got the, the faithful two or three that'll do something, uh, when pressed and sometimes they don't have to be pressed, but you got the rest of them that are just, man, it's just like, it's, it's super frustrating. And, um, so yeah, so he, we were talking about that. I mean, so my, my thought, you know, I don't know how deep you want to go into this, but like, if you're going to be a part of something, then you need to be, find your place in it. And I remember whenever we started, so Lauren and I, this is going off a tangent a little bit, but Lauren and I started going to faith Bible church, but I was running a a ministry on the side through the navigators of meeting guys one-on-one, which is great. Love that ministry. <clears throat> but it became apparent that I needed to centralize my ministry so Laura and I could have something together. So we we got involved with a um, an ABF, a Sunday school class at our church. First thing I thought of when I when I sat in there was like, what what's my place in this? I can come and consume, or I can be a part of and and give to the class. And so I sent an email to the leaders at the time and just said, look, I we're happy to be a part of this class. <clears throat> I don't know where you have need but we'd like to serve. And here's a couple of areas, two or three areas where I feel like uh, we could be of service. And um, so, and then that was it. I mean, and the the guys came back and said, Hey, we want you to do this little father son thing and let's roll with that. Because in our class we had uh, about 30 young boys. So anyways, my point being with that whole thing is what's frustrating is when you come and you just sit and consume and then you leave 
there's a loss of fellowship with that because it's it's not you're not working as a church body and it doesn't matter whether you're in the church if you're going to church get involved in the church and if you're involved in a Sunday school class get involved in the Sunday school class you know be in an, a, a representation of the church body by doing your part and having some sort of buy-in so I want to camp here a little bit because I think this is especially important for men but just based off of what he said so that I don't poison the well at all I'm curious what Derek and Robert what you guys think about what he said about you know do you notice that do you see it as well just your your overall thoughts on that Say it's convicting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at times, for sure, it's hard to get, I mean, not necessarily hard to get involved, but what is my place? Uh, so, yeah, but going out and just asking, you know, and our, our, our ABF Sunday School has been pretty good about offering opportunities or asking guys help. Uh, so, I don't know, convicting. And, I mean, I've definitely been involved, but not as much recently as I should be. So, one that's one thing, Robert, you know, hold, hold your point real quick because, you know, it's interesting when people talk about community, one of the most basic ways to be in community is to be in the community with those people. Yeah. And so you can preach about, Hey, community is important. It's important. It's important. But if you don't show up to Sunday school, like you're not in community with those people, that is the most basic level of interaction is just showing up on Sunday morning and being available and being around people. And then there's all the ancillary stuff and extra stuff that happens after, you know, you know, going to individual homes or gathering with a few people or even going on vacations or helping people out here or there. But just your presence is a present. Like, and like, I literally mean that because sometimes you're a calming force. Sometimes you're an incendiary force in a good way. And so that, that's just one quick thought there. But Robert, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think what used to be the 80, 20 rule is now the 90, 10 rule. You know, I think that, uh, sure. you know, 90% of the work, unfortunately the church is getting done by 10% of the people. You know I mean? It's just, um, uh, we've become more isolated. We've become more distant. We don't want to open up. We either have more struggles that we don't feel like we can be transparent with other people on. Um, and it's just caused us to be in the habit of just suppressing everything and being, um, you know, not wanting to dive in and go deeper with others. Um, I think our ABF or you know, does a really good job of, of really plugging in. There's a lot of, a lot of guys that are outgoing and that will draw those that aren't outgoing into action. And I think it takes that, you know, and so how do you do that in a form of leadership? You know, how do exactly do we get an opportunity to be able to know how to inspire somebody? And then it just gets exhausting too, when you're doing it all the time, how do we want to inspire those to be able to come in and be a part of a group, investing the time to be able to grow deeper relationships, but yet at the same, the same time, don't do it so much that you run them off or you get exhausted in the process because nobody else wants to dive deep either. Well, and I mean, I get your point with, you know, 90, 10 from 80, 20. I, I feel like it's 98, two or 99, yeah, one, because it's yeah. like, we default to the professional Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, we have a pastor for that. Oh, we have a, a ministry budget for that. Oh, we have a committee of people that do that. And so when so many other people are doing things, I, I'm kind of reminded, I, I forget who told me this, it may have been you, Eric, but it was like, uh, people that work in, in old folks homes or something like that, whatever your patient, if you're one of the nurses or employees, whatever your patient can do for themselves you make sure they do that yeah. for themselves because the moment you take that away from them and start doing it for them there, it's like they atrophy. And you know, that same credit, the this, this common theology that we have or philosophy that we have of like the pastor can do that. I think what it is that's even more prevalent is the women do that. And the yeah. men don't, the women are the ones that are going to get together on uh, you know, a Friday night and they're going to go out to dinner. The women are the ones that are going to get away for the weekend and they're going to spend time together. It, the guys, it's my job to sit at home and make the money and focus on how to be able to protect my family and keep them provided for and keep everything functioning. And then I'm just going to isolate myself and binge entertainment. You know, that's, that's the way that I grow is I binge watch entertainment. 
Right. Yeah. And I, I, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's just my thought. It's like, if we are believers, we should be moving in a direction of becoming more sanctified and in becoming more sanctified, we should be bearing more fruit and that fruit should be coming more on more naturally. And if it's coming on more naturally, then it should be natural and an outcropping within our circles of influence, whether we're going to church or whether we're in a Sunday school class or whatever. And I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I think I, maybe I get it. I mean, I know we get busy. I know that I'm about to run into baseball season. We're gonna have 40 some odd games. And right now we're doing basketball. I get, I get all of that, but, um, but I don't, so I don't know if it's a, it's a sheer busyness thing or if it's a margin thing and I can't think about another something else or, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. You have any thoughts on that? You know, speaking of the natural, you know, you're talking about the natural thing. You know, if we're looking at, uh, just getting your butt out of bed and waking up early to go to the gym. You know, I mean, it is such a struggle if you don't do it consistently. But there does come this point where it's natural. It's like to not do it, no matter how tired I am, I'm going to think so little of myself because I've created the habit that it's mm-hmm. then a natural. And I think so many guys aren't getting up and diving into Sunday school. They don't want the, whatever yeah. that is. And so they're never creating well, the habit. They're not doing anything difficult ever yeah. In any circumstances, yeah. unless it's a have to thing, like dealing with my kids, dealing with the old battle axe. But when it comes to the things that you choose to do, and I'm going to uh, destroy the name of this, but I was listening to a Huberman podcast a while ago and it was talking about the mid cingulate something cortex or whatever. Well, it's a part of your brain that atrophies if you don't do things that you don't want to do. So, I mean, I may have said that wrong, but like, say, let's say you hate waking up early and working out and let's say tomorrow rolls around and you sleep in that part of your brain will shrink. But if you wake up and do that thing that you don't, I do not want to put on my shoes. I do not want to go to the gym. I don't want to do it. And then you go and do it. That part of your brain will actually grow or strengthen. Right. And so they, they see this in people to where it's like, it's not about waking up that one time and getting up early when it was cold and putting on your shoes and going to the gym. It's about doing that every freaking day of your life. But as men, as modern men, we don't think of those terms. We think you know, in terms of comfort. And plug in jujitsu just a little bit. For me, my five alarm, five a.m. alarm every day, Monday through Friday. I get up and I go to jujitsu. And there's not one day that I get up and want to go. And people don't understand that because they think, oh, you love it. It's like, no, no been, I don't love it at five. <laughs> yeah. I certainly don't. That's right. From five thirty to seven o'clock in the morning. That's exactly where we're at. Hard rounds, good reps, everything across the board. But when I leave at seven o'clock, there's not one day I've looked back and regretted not getting up. There's not yeah. one day when I look back and go, man, that extra hour of sleep would have been fantastic. Right. Well, and I, I literally had a moment like that last night. There was a UFC last night. And, you know, y'all are hearing this a little bit later. It's probably warmer now, but whenever we were doing this, it was like 12 degrees outside and we were watching it in like in a metal shop, not exactly the best place to be comfort, comfortable and warm. And I thought to myself, man, if these fights go long and I was kind of looking at the fight card and I was like, there's not a whole lot of finishers here. I think these fights might go long. And they did. I didn't end up leaving until about one in the morning after the main event ended. But before even deciding that whether or not I would go, I thought to myself, 80 something year old Kyle dying in his bed. And looking back, I'm not going to look back on all those times I got a couple extra hours of sleep. It's just never going to happen. Sure. Like we're going to be making memories. But go ahead, you wanted to. Hop oh out. man, I was just thinking of something you you said the other day. You know, my son started wrestling not too long ago, and it's his first year yes. doing this. Let's go, you know, let's go. Awesome. Super green, 
you know, and I, I was thinking about the guy that is starting from zero. You know, you guys are you guys have been doing this for a long time. You get it. it it's it's like you said, it's just a natural thing. But there are guys that are going to be starting something literally from from nothing, and um, and that's kind of what my son is doing. And I, and I like what you said, Kyle, because I was like, Kyle, he hadn't won any matches, and you were like, ah, you know, it's no no big deal. Has he has he scored any points? You know, and it's like, oh yeah, he scored a point. That is awesome. That is so awesome. You know, because it's just a it's a small step in the right direction. And right. and uh, I think about that. I I didn't really love the book, but I appreciate the book, Atomic Habits of Becoming One Percent yeah. Better Every Single Day. Um, I, I like that concept. You know, it's not you have to you have to do it all at one time. You just build upon build a block and then build upon that block and keep pushing forward. And compare yourself to yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That's right, yeah. Peterson. Yeah. It's good. I mean, the, well, to, to that point, so you would bring up like one of my least favorite books ever. I, I know, I know. <laughs> now, but there's something, I think it was chapter two of that book where it's like winners and losers have the same goals. And so I was like, yeah, you go to a jujitsu tournament, a wrestling tournament or whatever. It's like, everybody wants to win. Only one person gets to win. So these, you know, goal setters like, oh, if you don't set a goal, you're not going to win. It's like, well, you can set a goal and still lose. And that's kind of the thing. But it's like that, that really is the point. It's compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And some of you, you know, we've gotten a lot of new listeners here recently. So this is going to be a repeat story. And yes, it's another jujitsu story. Sorry, deal with it. (laughs) But um, this was uh, at the very tail end of my white belt days, right? Uh, or the very beginning of my blue belt days. And so you're, you're, you're basically a fawn that can walk for the most part without falling over. That's how dangerous you are, right? So not very dangerous at all. I have a bad practice. I get smoked by everybody and I'm brooding, right? I'm brooding in the locker room and I'm taking off my shirt with attitude and I'm just in, but I'm not saying anything, right? Well, Tyler Murrah, who is a world champion, he wasn't a world champion at the time, but like very soon after that, he became a world champion. Uh, the guy that at that time I had rolled with more than anybody, he had been my main professor or my main teacher at that point. We're about the same size, but he's, you know, was like seven or eight years beyond me or whatever. And so um, he walks in the locker room and he doesn't say much ever unless he's coaching. If he's not coaching, he doesn't really talk. And he sees me brooding, pouting like a little girl. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I just had a bad practice and I couldn't get out of these positions. And I just, it was bad. And he goes, hey, uh, what would you do to the Kyle from six months ago? And I was kind of caught off guard by the question. And I just go, God, I would smoke him. I would absolutely mm-hmm. destroy him. And he goes, then shut up. Like, yeah, we're all getting better. Like, you know how you've been training a bunch? So is everybody else. And so the guys that are already ahead of you are already stronger than you are already more athletic than you. They're not, not those things anymore. He didn't, he didn't even say all that. All he did was say, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah, by the way, yeah. he didn't add any of the editorializing or commentary on the back end. He just basically said, yeah, deal with it. We're all getting better. But if you compare yourself to who you were yesterday, spiritually, mentally, physically, that's a really, really big deal. One thing that I wanted to focus in on on this chunk here, and if it seems like we're camping out here, it's because we are, because I think that this is important. But the thing, like our 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 conversation this morning, Eric, kind of haunted me a little bit during the service because we're going through Colossians right now, and you know we're a verse by verse exegetical expository preaching thing, and so it can kind of be slow. And so today's sermon was a little bit slower, so I kind of drifted in my brain a little bit, and I kept thinking about this consumeristic relationship that we have with service. Because, of course, we're consumers. We concern food and media and, you know, all this other stuff. But the problem is, is the guys in your ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, otherwise known by everyone else as a Sunday school class, they have been lulled to sleep. They've been romanced by the spirit of consumerism. And they've forgotten the point of what a man is here for. A man is here to provide, not to consume. That a real man consumes last 
He does not think of himself first. Go back to January of this year, guys, where, you know, in the ways to avoid being a crappy man, I talked about where Ryan Horn, you know, he had that that thing go on with vacation. He went to a family vacation and was like, you know what? I'm going to think of myself last. I'm going to put my wife and my kids above me on this vacation and see how it goes. And they went to Disney World, which basically means he's Satan because, you know, Disney's the worst. Why would you spend money at Disney World? What's wrong with you, Ryan? But the good point was is they had an amazing trip because he put himself last because he took himself out of the seat of primary consumer and put himself in the seat of primary provider. And that's what I feel like the problem is with what's going on and what you're dealing with right now is you got a bunch of dudes in there that I don't care what your personality type is, introvert, extrovert, what your Enneagram is. I don't care about any of that. I care about the fact that you are not stepping up because you think consuming is all you're good for in this moment. Oh, I'm too busy or I'm too this or Eric's great at it. And it's just like, they're not going to be the guys that you want to see to your left and to your right if things are really, the chips are down because man, it's past 6 p.m. and they're just, they don't, they have any availability for you at this point. Yeah. And I, you know, I had one, one thing and, um, you know, not pointing any fingers at anybody that's maybe listening to this from my class, but you know, there, there is this tendency that, uh, you've been there, done there, done that kind of thing. I mean, multiple guys in that class have led that class or another class at some point. And uh, I feel like they just kind of check out, you know. So I don't know if there's something about the newness of the people that are coming to class uh, or how long they've been attending that church or, or whatever. And, and honestly, I've gone back and forth, you know, because I've read Jocko's book, um, you know, and it kind of put, put the onus on me. Well, maybe I'm not communicating myself quite clearly enough. Maybe I'm not making it known what, what I need and the expectations. I feel like I'm doing that. And I feel like I could scream it and it still wouldn't do anything. So uh, anyways, but... I, I would just say like our work is not done until we go to heaven. You know, so if, 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 if you've led a class or you, or you've done something and you, and you just want to step out, step out of it, it doesn't mean that you stop working. And that just feels like what half that class has done. You know, to kind of circle back to where you were at Kyle, that connects the two pieces a little bit. And that's the fact that I think men, we have become such consumers, even in our marriage, even in our house, that we don't understand the reward of provision the reward of leading and we get so we get in this position of wanting to be served by everybody else but i really feel like the deep true reward is knowing that we have provided that we have led that we have guarded that we have biblically done what needs to be done that everyone else is taking care of first now that could be marriage that could be your household that could be a sunday school class you know that you have provided some piece of the puzzle of leadership that allowed for that class household to be able to function well. And there's, that's what we need to cling to as men. We need to understand the reward that comes with that, that God has designed us to be that and quit getting out of the weak um, mindset of needing to be served by everybody else around us. When I think a great question to ask those people, which would require some explanation is, Hey, do y'all's hands hurt? And what I mean by that, and y'all have heard me probably say this on the show, if you've been listening for any length of time, I, I heard this anecdote. It was cute. I doubt it actually really happened, but it was, it just, it really worked out. Uh, there's this man who's kind of rubbing his hands. Like, you know, you can just tell he's uncomfortable and his little daughter comes up to him and says, Hey daddy, do your hands hurt? And instead of addressing her question directly, he says, Hey sweetie, do you have, do you have all the clothes that you want in your closet? Well, yeah. Hey, do you, are you doing the activities? That, that you really like to do, the stuff that really makes you happy, that where you have a lot of fun? Well, yeah. Are you going to the school where, you know, you, you got your friends and things are set up in the way that you like it? And, you know, do, do you feel like you're, you've gotten all your needs taken care of? Yes, daddy. Then my hands feel fine. Hmm. And so the obvious corollary is this is a man that works 
He yeah. works hard. His hands hurt, right? And this, this is where people would be like, oh, well, that's American patriarchal stoicism, and that's terrible. He should just be open with his feelings. And it's like, no, he doesn't need to unload his feelings on his girl because that's not the point. The point is not, can you please console Dada because Dada's hands hurt? The point is, are you provided for? And if the answer is no, you're messing up. And so that's what I would ask these guys. Is, I mean, that's not just the people that are in your Sunday school. It's the right. people that are just in your friend group. Maybe it's the people you're the leader of a sales team or you're, you know, the leader of a gym or the leader of a squadron or something like that. And it's just like, hey, whose hands hurt? Right. And it's going to it's going to be one of those things that just catches people off guard because it's like implicit in the in the answer that you give is where you put yourself in the equation on the consumer side or the provider side. And so. And I'm extra bad about this. That's why I put what Ryan Horn taught me into the 17 ways to avoid being a crappy man in 2024, because it's like so often going into a trip, I'm, I'm thinking about the restaurants I want to go to and the places I want to make sure I hit and the places where I'm going to feel comfortable and if I'm not going to be too hot or too cold or all these different things. And there's a wake that's created by my desires, right? And the people that get caught up in the wake are my wife and my boys. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure they have smooth seas, but if as long as I'm focusing on me, it's not, it's not smooth. You know, it's, I had a great conversation over Christmas break with my son. And in order to guard that conversation, I'm just going to give the highlight just a little bit, but it had to do with as being a man and what are some of the main functions and what we were talking about that moment is when a boy goes from needing to be provided for to now providing for others is one of the main steps that it is from moving to a boy to a man. And so you have 25-year-old boys living at their home. You have 20, you have 30-year-old boys that might be on their own house, but are living off of the provision of their parents or the provision of the, the government that they're living off of or whatever else. They're not standing. And not only are they not providing for themselves, they're not providing for their family. They're not giving and governing others. And so I, I was really had a great heart to heart with them is that when that's one of the main definable steps in moving into being a man. Absolutely. Um, I think we have beaten that dead horse completely to death, resurrected it and then beat it to death again. But I thought that that was an important thing to camp out on because I think that there are, there are corollaries for everybody listening to this. You may, you're finding yourself in that continuum somewhere between consumer and provider and you need to make sure you find yourself on the ladder end of that. Uh, Eric, if you could hit verses 15 through 28, please. Certainly. <clears throat> Said 28, 15 through 28. Right. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. <clears throat> then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter and Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And, in, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For, the, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. 
For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So I really want to focus in on verse 24 here. Verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so there's a lot here that we'll unpack, but just basically to the people that get very uncomfortable when me, this ministry, or anybody else points at people that are doing things that are outside of doctrine, that are heretical. You know, obviously we've, we've picked on Andy Stanley a lot and he's deserved it. I, I want to ask those people, in light of things like this, what false prophets do you think we're, sh- we're supposed to be waiting for? Is there someone who's more false prophety than the people that I choose to pick on, right? And because people are like, well, that's mean, that's judgmental, it's divisive, it's creating schism, this is exactly what Satan wants. And I'm like, no, what Satan wants is for us to ignore these people. Satan wants us to look at these people that are li- actively doing incorrect exegesis or ignorantly doing incorrect exegesis and wanting us to just ignore it. I think this goes back to what we were talking about, Eric, and what really, if we can back out to all of Undaunted Life, equipping men to push back darkness. You can't push back darkness if you're not looking at it. Just recently, well, this is coming out, you know, months later, but I posted something on Instagram. It was, uh, there was this outdoor festival concert thing, and there's a boy on stage who's 10 years old, maybe. Maybe. Right, maybe maybe 10 years old, very young boy. And the crowd is cheering. That's what you see first in this video. Crowd's cheering, going nuts, and like, oh my gosh. And then the camera pans, and there's this boy, and the DJ is there with a microphone. They're encouraging this young man to turn around, to put his hands on his ankles, and to twerk. This is at an LGBTQ like event. There's obviously gay men on stage. You know, you can just tell by their mannerisms. Yes, you can tell by people's mannerisms. And, you know, they're, they're saying hands on your knees, hands on your knees, hands on your ankles, hands on your ankles. And then it was ass everywhere, ass everywhere, ass everywhere. And these people are losing it, having the greatest time as this boy is basically being served up like, you know, lambs to the slaughter mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And so I post this video and some of the comments were like, why would you even share something like this? This is so depraved. Why do you want people to focus on things like this? And my response was calm and simple. It's, we can't push back darkness if we refuse to look at it, mm. right? Because you may have not thought that things like this happened. Maybe someone described something like this on the news, and you're like, <laughs> that didn't happen. Right. Come on, alarmist, Christian nationalist. Like, what are you going to do next? Say that we should be praying in schools? Like, <laughs> that's what these people are, are going to be pointing at. And part of it is because so many men... I don't know if this still fits the consumer provider side. They don't want to be equipped to push back darkness because it could be icky. They don't want to be seen as judgmental and we're worshiping at the altar of nice. What Bodhi calls the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice in all circumstances to all people. And I feel like when you get to something like this where it's like, hey, look out, there are false prophets and false Christs that are going to be coming out. And if you're not practiced and prepared in the ways of pointing at depraved things and saying, yeah, that's depraved, we shouldn't do that. How do you expect to do it whenever it actually counts? I just don't understand most men. Yeah, I, I think most are not, like you said, not prepared. It's like they're, they're too, e- they too easily take the bait. Did God really say? You know, they, they don't know any different. You know, if you get, give them the fake dollar bill, they can't tell you that it's fake because they don't know what they're looking at. They're not, they're not, they're not sure. Um, so I think it starts there. And so then the question in their head is kind of like, well, is it really that bad? I don't know. There was a, well, 
one of the one of the books uh, how pornography harms. Yep, John you know, John Fulbert. Fulbert, man, he used to go to church with us, and I I <laughs> he's such an interesting guy, but I really appreciated him because anytime anyone would say anything that was the least bit off base or potentially heretical, he would call it out. Like yeah. he would he not all over it. Yeah, it would. It didn't take him, but you know, a split second, and he would call it out. And I really appreciate that about him because he didn't let it go. He didn't let something fester and then grow, and then there become an issue where people are kind of somewhat deceived or or, or you know, there's question marks, you know, and then people don't want to touch it. You know, no, he was just right, right from the very beginning. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that's right. This is what the Bible says. So that's one thing I, I appreciate about you, Kyle, is that you're you're willing to be that prophet, that that one that call calls people out, pushes it back immediately. What do you feel is the main reason? I mean, we look at false prophets, false teachers. We look at people that are out, that are saying things that are very much against what, um, as Christians, we should be following. But ninety percent of what somebody says, it's man, it just tickles your ear, right? I mean, it's, it's exactly what makes me feel good. And man, that seems right. And everything is great about that. And then it, it basically gets to the point that it lulls them to sleep. When the 10% come that's allowed to sneak in, they, they just kind of maybe put an ear up, but then they just ignore it and well, there's go a back word, to being passive. Keyword you used, seems. Yeah. It seems right. Go back mm-hmm. to the desert, 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is being tempted by Satan. How did Satan communicate? What, what was Satan quoting to Jesus? Bible. The Bible, kind of. It seemed like the Bible. Mm. It seemed right. It was close, but it was incomplete on purpose. Because Satan knows the scriptures as well, mm-hmm. and he also knows how to use them. And my, what I would argue, and I'm curious what you guys would think about this, what I would argue as the reason, because you asked what's the reason for this, an astoundingly high level of biblical illiteracy. Absolutely. That's yeah, what it is. For sure. Because you're going to hear something and it'll be like almost colloquial in your brain to where this sounds close to what I remember from Sunday school as a kid. You know what? This sounds like something I remember my pastor saying in high school when I used to go to church all the time because my parents made me. This sounds close enough. So you'll hear things like, well, God is love. Love is love. God is love. Love is love. Whoever you want to love. Lady Gaga, born this way. Hey. <laughs> And then you just come to this revelation to where so it's like, true. right, so true. oh, well, this person says they're gay, makes total sense, that's their truth, and then you just start spouting these talking points because you have no filter to put your stupid commentary through. Because if you put your filter through the commentary of what does the Bible say, as opposed to, did he really say? Mm. That, that's, that's ultimately it. Again, I go back to why did we even start the forging table? Because I was reading a lot of books that weren't in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I wasn't reading books of the Bible. I was reading books from the bookstore, right? And that became a major issue because I was like, oh my gosh, what am I being foolish about? What are things that I've just bought hook, line, and sinker because they seemed right? Yeah, and I immediately think of just uh, that God's word does not return to him in vain. You know, there there is something about just being consistently in the word. And um, one of the things I I tell my boys is, you know, they they need to prioritize being in the word every day. So we do, we do um, uh, through you version, we'll have something going uh, pretty, pretty regularly, whether it's Proverbs or something else. And I can see what they're, what the verse is that they're, they're choosing. And then if they don't write anything, I'll ask them directly, but I always encourage them. I was like, well, what's something that stood out to you? And why did you like that? You know, at the very minimum, and it's not that every single time that they're in the word or that I'm in the word that I'm having these aha moments and, you know, 
the heavens are opening up um, above me or, or whatever. It, it's the sheer being in the word. And one of the things that I, <clears throat> I appreciate about my friend Matt is um, in talking to him, he's now a pastor uh, somewhere, but um, he said, you know, Eric, when I was young, I started reading the Bible and I, I just tried to be consistent. He, he said, and honestly, I didn't know a whole lot. And so what I did is I had this book and I literally wrote down every question I had. I, I was like, I don't understand that. So I really write down this question and he just leave it there and leave a blank underneath it and then, or another page or whatever. And he just kept writing down questions that he had as he read through the Bible. And then what, what, what happened is over time, he started getting answers to those questions and he would go back and he would fill in the answers to those questions. He says, Eric, you know, now it's been 15 years and I had all of these questions. And if I go back and open up my journal on that, you know, anywhere, I'll open it up and every single one of those questions have been answered in some form or fashion, just for the sheer fact that I was consistent in the word. And so um, I'd encourage you, you know, fathers or whoever's listening to this, if you're not, uh, if you're not reading the Bible, read the Bible. Don't expect necessarily miracles, but expect it to be nourished. I mean, you, you asked me what I had to eat for breakfast five days ago. Maybe, maybe I could tell you, um, but I, I, I know I ate and I know I was nourished by it. And so at the very minimum, be nourished by the word ask questions, seek answers. And then don't expect for yourself to have to be to a point where you're like, I'm a scholar. Now I can teach my son or my daughter about the word, or I can lead my wife and my family. You don't have to do that. Just be a step ahead, you know, and and then be aware, you know, being, be willing to share, even if it's a question that you don't have answered yet. Um, you know, I don't know, practical advice. Go ahead. Go ahead, Robert. It kind of follows within what you had said earlier too, Eric was having a counterfeit dollar and not knowing what the counterfeit dollar is and what are you comparing it against? You're comparing it against a real dollar. You know, how do they train people to be able to identify fake currency as they run millions or thousands and thousands of real currency across them. And so whenever they see something that's fake, they immediately know this is not the real thing. And the more that we're reading the Bible, the more and more that it's in our heart and it's in our mind, the more and more we come across something that's contrary, we're immediately going to be able to point that out. Absolutely. One if you're in the word, you will get to a point where you're like, and I think I'm a black belt at this. And so again, uh, shock of all shocks, I'm going to use a jujitsu example. But when you talk to people, because if you train, because jujitsu is a legitimate martial art, you're not going to get your black belt in two years. If you train two, three, four times a week, compete two or three times a year and train for a decade, you'll probably get your black belt. Like that's about the, what the timeline looks like. It takes forever. I remember early on, we had a night where we had like five guys get their black belt all at once. And the guy who had trained the least amount of time was a guy named Livingston. And I think he had trained at that point, like 15 years or something. And he was the quickest to black belt of the five. And right? he's such a monster. And he's a monster. He's a Just freak a beast. savage. And he looks like he could do your taxes for you and then mow, yeah. like yeah. mow your lawn and then give you a high five and say, how you doing, buddy? And then it's just like, no, he'll head kick you into oblivion if he needed to. And if not, he'll take you down and he'll slowly choke you out as he whispers in your ear something hilarious. And so the thing about it is when you hear someone that gets to black belt, say something like, God, I feel like I don't know anything. You're like, what? And you're sitting there with your white belt or your blue belt, or you don't train at all. And you're like, wait a minute, this is an expert. And he says, he feels like he doesn't know anything. And and the reason is, is because you have a guy that trains for 15 years and then he goes to a different school or there's a new professor that comes in from another academy and they start teaching a certain position that he's never even heard of. And he's just like, oh my gosh, this is a whole entirely new world, which is another reason why I tell guys, don't ever act like you know something that you don't. If somebody's talking about something you don't know anything about, ask questions, right? You know, so you can get your questions answered. But you get to a certain point where you're just like, this will never end. Like black belt isn't where you are, or arrive to, it's just where you're at right now. 
And so same thing with the Bibles. It's like, what are you doing to constantly deepen your understanding of how this correlates to that and that correlates to that? Because I don't know that any theologian worth their salt would ever say, yes, I know the Bible front and back. Like, even if you could possibly, I'm sure you could, even if you memorize the entire thing, even if you can spout the words, it doesn't mean that you know what they mean. It doesn't mean that you know how they apply to, you know, all the other verses in the Bible that correlate directly to that word or that verse or something like that. But again, going back to the overall point, it's this biblical literacy that is causing men specifically, like why aren't men catechizing their families? Why aren't men leading their families? Why aren't they discipling their children? Why aren't they leading and loving their wives as Christ loved the church? Why aren't they able to stand up at the school board? Why aren't they able to correct things that are happening in, in culture or whatever, everything like that? It's because they don't have truth to look back on. They have sections of truth. They can see dimly, right? But they, they can't see clearly. And so if you can't see the problem clearly, how are you going to propose a solution clearly? I, we're just at a major deficit there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uncomfortable, you know, especially in the beginning. Uh, it's convicting for one thing for this, but even just leading the family and all that, if you're not doing it already, it's uncomfortable to start. That makes it hard. So, well, I can just go back to what's easy. Um, for, I mean, I think that's uh, one, one issue. And, and we just have a the book Comfort Crisis was pretty interesting if you haven't read that yet. We just have a, a crisis of comfort in the U.S., probably around the world. Um, so I think that's one way that it makes it hard, I guess. It's just, we want to be comfortable getting into this and leading and doing stuff is uncomfortable. Let's just go back to what's easy. Yeah. When it's not just physical comfort, we want the mental right. comfort yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. And just, almost more so. And just contrary to growth, right? Right. In every way. Yeah. I mean, comfort exactly. is the opposite of you didn't growth. Be, you didn't become a black belt because it was easy. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was uncomfortable. Or, right. Yeah. My goodness. You learned to be a pilot and all the accolades that you've done and everything that you've accomplished. I can't imagine the amount of discomfort that you've had to go through and studying and, and just working hard to be able to accomplish what you have. I'm still not convinced flying is actually real. It still doesn't make any sense to me. Like how <laughs> that you just, it's it, okay. To simple people like me, it is magic. Derek, I've tried to explain this to you. There's no, it doesn't make any sense to me how that thing stays in the air. How does it work? We'll have a physics lesson later. Uh, okay. I got a whiteboard. <laughs> There's a whiteboard literally right there. Okay. You can explain it to me. Hey, you were saying it's, it's hard. It's uncomfortable <clears throat> at first. I mean, and there, there are times if you've been married, say 15 years, you've never done any kind of like financial planning or like trying to like balance a budget, whatever. It may start with, dude, I have sucked for the last 15 years. Yeah. <clears throat> and I apologize that I have not done my job well but I've got to get this right now, you know? So it may start with asking for forgiveness and yeah, that's the sure. most uncomfortable thing. And once you get through that, then. Don't we spend a lot of time, sorry, I like pointed at you <laughs> <laughs> super aggressively. How dare you? No, like we, we waste time lamenting what we haven't done as opposed to trying to figure out what we can do to correct it. So I remember after the Mike Glover interview that I did last November or December or whatever, I got an email, great email. This guy was in his eighties. Okay. So he was an 80 something year old veteran. And the gist of the email was, Hey man, saw, saw your interview. Something really clicked for me. My whole life. I thought I could either be godly or I could be tough. And so I chose to be tough. And it wasn't until hearing you talk to Mike that I realized this entire time I could have been both. Mm -hmm. I could have been tough and godly. I could have been godly and manly. But that's not worth it. That would have been a great email just there. It's like, oh, great. I'm glad that could click for you. You know, you're welcome. But then he was just like, so I'm going to focus right now on as the lights turn off. Is that like a bad sign or a good sign? Um, but it's like, I'm going to focus on making sure that I, 
I'm nailing it from here on out. Right. It's not, I spent the last eight decades not getting this right. It was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to try to fix it moving forward, which is the exact uh, right way to think about it. We got to move on a little bit here, but um, I wanted to mention this. I probably should have mentioned it like 15 minutes ago, but um, in verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So as to be led astray if possible, even the elect. The reason why I wanted to bring this up is because even saved people can, be, can believe wrong theology. Because there are people, so I've used this example quite a bit. John MacArthur thinks that uh, if you are a Catholic, you are an apostate and you are a non-Christian. And if you are a Catholic, you are going to hell. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me that categorically, no one in the Catholic church, in spite of church history or of Catholic church doctrine, nobody has put their faith in Christ for the propitiation of their sins and repented from their own sins. No one's done that because they're Catholic. I'm sorry, I don't think you can make that claim. Like I get the dramatics of making a broad-based claim based on your own narrow version of your theology, that being Reformed Calvinism or just Calvinism uh, in general. But I think that this is a good thing. Even this morning in Sunday school, there was a discussion of young earth versus old earth, right? So somebody was giving the young earth position. They didn't exactly explain the other positions in a fair light. This person's very much so young earth, but he was also very open to be like, yeah, this isn't a salvation issue, right? That like, if you believe the earth is old or young or that evolution's real and that God took over at some point, like none of that is salvific, but we treat it as if it is. But I think that that's a helpful thing for any of the Theo bros out there that love to get into these theological arguments to try to make other people feel small or try to just flex their, their intellectual might. It's like, look, there will be people that are saved or the elect, as it's put here in scripture, that believe the wrong thing. Like they zigged when they should have zagged. Like they're Armenianism, Armenian, but Armenianism's wrong, or they're Calvinists and Calvinism's wrong, or whatever. And so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to make sure that we're having a little bit of grace for people that don't believe rightly. And there are certain things that we won't know until heaven and realize, like, oh, Tom was right about this the entire time. I'm such an idiot. Ah, and then we clink our glasses together and go do whatever people do it in heaven, which hopefully is not one big long worship service. Hopefully not. But all right, we need to we need to keep this train moving. So whoever wants to do it, volunteer uh, while I go over there and try to fix that light. Verses 29 through 35. I got it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Is that what he said? Uh, 35. 35. 35. From the fig tree... Lessons from the fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I'm being real honest. I was over there trying to uh, make sure stuff worked, but hopefully the light turned on when you were saying something really smart. So it'd be like you got an idea. So I'm going to let y'all flow on that. Whatever you want to say on that, we'll spend, you know, five-ish minutes if there's something there that you guys would like to share. Well, kind of like what uh, Master, uh, Master, Pastor Mark has said in the past. (laughs) 
Let's just call him Master Mark. There you go, Master Mark. I can appreciate that these, even these young disciples, apostles, are being taught about the end times. Now I get it. They have a, they have specific questions about what's going to happen next, and they're getting he's he's giving them relatively specific answers as well. <clears throat> but it does remind me of other other places in the Bible, specifically like First Thessalonians, uh, where um, Paul is not afraid to teach new believers about apocalyptic things you know mm. <clears throat> there's something a hope giving about that uh, there, there's something to look forward to in that and um yeah i just think it, it, some of the best conversations i've had with my kids have been on what happens you know later on like is jesus coming back you know what happens when that happens in my even my little girl the other day she, it, it was such an interesting uh honest question she just she just looked at me and said daddy why is life so long (laughs) (laughs) from the mouths of babes that's hilarious are are you are you she was grounded at the time right (laughs) is that what it was (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was like are you depressed yeah she was it was it was an honest question she was like what am like what am i gonna do when i get to heaven if it just goes on and on have y'all not struggled with i have for sure I literally asked a pastor the other day, I was like, what are we going to do the whole time? And his answer, it was Joby. And he was just like, you're not, it, it's not going to matter. We don't know. And you're not going to care. Dude, you're going to be a, a great harp player. I can see it. Now. <laughs> I, I think. Am I also going to be a fat angel? Just like a like, cherub. Yeah. Like a cherub, Kyle doesn't look like a fat baby with a harp on a cloud either, by the way, flaming hair, yeah. red. God it's just, yeah, really. it's going to be beautiful. No, I have asked. I was like, okay, so let's say you're like a hunter and you just love hunting. It's like your favorite thing in the world like is heaven just like this big long hunting trip and you're just constantly you're taking down like a flying elephant or something like like what what is it going to be like and then because i've heard versions of whatever your favorite hobby is like that's kind of what it's going to be like in heaven so it's going to constantly be filled of dreams or it's just going to be one long worship set and it's just like the latter for me as i've described was like please don't please don't do i at least get to pick the the, who's singing up there or whatever but um we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and close out here i want to make sure that we get through the end of this so let's read whoever would like to volunteer because i've lost track again of who last read so let's do verses 36 through the end which is verse 51 nice chunk there i mean do you want to Robert, got, do I, it. Okay, all right. Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna default. No, I was go like for, cheating. Go for it. it's good. Do you want to read every other word? Ooh, it can be like really cute. Don't do it. Quick, That's gonna be awkward. It. Don't do it. <laughs> but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the sons of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. There you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set himself over all his possessions. 
But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on the day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this goes back to something that I talked about when I was out with uh, my buddy Mike Glover out in Utah when I did his show, because he has a book called Prepared. He teaches preparedness classes. Like him and Field Craft Survival do amazing work helping prepare people to gunfight, to physically fight, to uh, create a homestead, to raise chickens, you know, pickle stuff and like helping keep you alive, right? But the point I made on the show was not a contradiction of his preparedness style. It was an addition to it where it said, okay, great. So you've done all the preparation. You've got backup generators. You've got chickens. Like you've got livestock, you've got hideouts, you've got, you know, places where you can snipe people that are coming down your road. Like you've, you're prepared, but then one of those other chimps is going to get you. And guess what you've done? You've just made a lot easier for them to take all your stuff because you have it all in one area. So you prepared your entire life to stay alive, but now you're dead. Now what? You prepared for this life, but not the next one. And so there are a lot of people that they don't take this seriously because you know, they don't really look at time the, the way that they should. And they're just like, well, you know, th- this is just going to end when it ends. It's no big deal. And they're not ready for the returning of the Lord. And so that's always my thing to the people that are preppers. If you want to have a bunch of food in your basement and a bunch of backup water, all that, great. I think that's a fantastic idea. Have you reckoned with who Christ is yet, though? I had a buddy years ago that, you know, he didn't really know what he believed. He was somewhere between atheist and agnostic. And, you know, I kind of took him down the path of Christianity and preached the gospel to him and spent months with him having lunch and that kind of thing. And at the end of the rainbow, I was like, hey, so what do you think about the person of Christ? And he was like, well, I really appreciate what you've done, but I feel like I need to do the same thing with a Muslim and with the Buddhist and with a Sikh and with a new age person and all that just so I can evaluate. And I said, okay, I, I can understand that sentiment. But I said, ultimately, I can give you a cheat code. Because if you believe that a Middle Eastern Jewish carpenter is the son of God, that he lived, did a ministry for three years and was put on a cross as payment for our sins, died, was risen again on the third day, you don't have to do that research on all that other stuff because that's the truth of humanity. That answers origin, meaning, morality, destiny. It answers all the greatest and most important questions that you could ever ask of yourself. And that's just something that to guys that are in our audience, to certain degrees, even ourselves sitting here at the table, we prepare, we prepare, we prepare our bodies, we prepare our minds. But then sometimes people lose the thread and they forget to prepare their souls. And I think this is a stark reminder of that. Oh, for sure. And I, and I would say just uh, if I go way back to verse 36, I mean, it goes without saying, I think for most, but I, I know there's somebody out there that uh, needs to hear this, but it says, the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels, the heaven, nor the sun, nor the f- or, but the Father only. If, you, if you're at a church or listening to someone that's predicting end dates and thinks they've got it nailed, I would run away as fast as you can. They ain't got it right. It's not going to be right. Why do we keep listening to these people? I don't know. <laughs> I literally, like years ago, there was this guy, because someone had, they had cracked the code, man. They had yeah. cracked the code, and somehow my dork of a friend thought he had really done it, and so he posted it on Facebook so everybody would know. Oh, nice. wow. Guys, time's coming. It is Thursday. It's 724 Eastern Standard Time. Like, that <laughs> is when it's going to go down. And I was like, I think I probably shared this verse with him, and he was like, no, man, you don't understand. And I was like, hey, man, <laughs> really? I'll see you Friday. Yeah. Like, because it's just like this, if Jesus doesn't know, and again, this kind of gets into Trinity and who knows what and how do they communicate and how is it, you know, 
uh, all these different you know setups. But in this particular thing, it's like, dude, why do we keep believing these people? Right. Like why? Yeah. And I guess it's just that we're time and time again, people will fall for it. Not once, but they're just going to keep the loop when the next date gets thrown out. Oh, I remember this Parks and Rec it's episode amazing. where there's this like group of people that are like predicting the end times and then they gather in the park and the yeah. world doesn't end. And so they go back in to reschedule the end of the world. And the person's like, oh, sorry, the park is full in that day. It's like, well, what about the next day? And it's just like, uh, okay, I guess the world doesn't really end on the day that you think. But anybody have any closing thoughts on Matthew 24 before we get out of here? I'll just say, I think it's super cool that he even tells us like this is coming. Uh, he gives us a warning to be looking for, uh, expect his return. Uh, so if, if we're around at that time, it's great. If not, we'll see him uh, after we pass. But I just, it's, a, it's a super cool, uh, I don't know, insight into God and Christ. And he's telling us to continue to look for him, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're without excuse, yeah. right? It's like literally I have given you the answer it's coming. Don't, don't be, don't be caught off guard. I, I'll, I'll end with this, this verse, second Peter three, nine, which says the Lord is not slow to fill, fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come or should reach repentance. And so, yeah, I just, on that, I was camping out on that verse 48, my master is delayed. Really? No, your master is having forbearance and patience with your stupidity. Yeah. Today is the day for repentance. Don't delay. That's a great way to yeah. leave it. But guys, we are going to come back here next Sunday where we are going to dig into Matthew 25. So make sure you're read through that for next week. Before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Don't forget, we got the cross crossway. The Forging Table Starter said it's that stack of books right there. You can check that out in the show notes if you want more details. Also, our donation page. If you wonder how we're able to put out content like this, it's because we have partners like you. So if you want to help us equip men to push back darkness all over the globe, hop on board and be a donor. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perfect. Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>